Well, as we see the title of tonight's message is Be Humble. Now, I know we don't struggle with this at all, right? Like, no, like, I think we're the most humble person in this room in here, right? So nobody struggles with this. But is there, has there ever been a time in your life that, man, your pride kind of creeped in, as my wife calls it, your head got big because you did something well, but then all of a sudden you got humble really quick. I remember a couple years ago, uh, before coming to Maranatha, I was serving a church in North Texas, and I was a youth minister for there for a couple years. And usually the youth minister doesn't get what I call varsity time. That's Sunday morning pulpit time, you know, like, you know, only on holidays, something like this. But this was like September, prime time, like the pastor is there and he trusts me to come on Sunday morning to bring God's word. And so I, I caught, you know, brought God's word, I taught it. And afterwards, man, people were coming left and right and say, Steve, that was amazing. Like, Steve, God, like, really, like, challenged me. And I started to get low. Man, all right, I'm a good preacher. Like, in my mind, I'm like, okay, like, this is great. A couple late, like, I saw an older lady come from my church coming crying and just really being, uh, just convicted what she um, was learning. So I had this crowd of people just really, like, and I'll be, I'll be honest with you, my pride started kicking in a little bit. Like, man, I am good. I'm the next Billy Graham. Here we go. Like, I'm going to, you know, like, this is going to be great. This is my calling. All of a sudden, I see two of my youth coming towards me. I'm like, uh, look how great I am. Even young people are coming because they're in touch with my message. And so two of our students come up to me and say, hey, Steve, uh, Levi, who is my older son, uh, his pants are down, and he's asking someone to take him to the bathroom. And I was like, oh, gosh. And so I went. So that moment of being prideful, look at that, was really dropped down when I saw my kid with his pants down in the middle of the service trying to find a bathroom in there. And so my parents always said, kids can make you humble really quickly. They don't care what you do. They just need to get their stuff done. <laughs> and I remember that moment. I remember driving home, and I remember saying, God, I'm sorry that I made it all about me when it has nothing to do about me. You see, I thought that God needed me to complete his mission. But the reality is this, guys, that Jesus does not need us. We need him. We desperately need him. We need him for us to walk, to breathe, to even be here tonight, to even think. But yet pride kind of creeps in. And we think, man, all right, God, you need me. Like, you need me to tell this person about you. You need me to do this. You need me. If I don't do this, this won't be accomplished for your glory. And that's what pride does. And it begins to think, okay, this is all about me. This is the me show. When I was in high school, I always told this to people. I thought that the world was like a movie. I was the main character. Everybody was a supporting actor and actress. That they were blessed just to be there in my presence. Right? But quickly I was humbled with that as well. And so tonight we're going to look at Daniel chapter 5. And we're going to do a kind of a case study of two different people. Two different persons. We're going to look at a king and we're going to look at a servant of God. And so here at Daniel chapter 5, we won't read it all. We're going to be moving around. But I'm going to give you an overview of chapter 5. What's going on. And then we're going to go a little verse by verse and see these two different people and their heart. You see, we see here that we saw last week with uh, Rick bringing God's word and talking about King Nebuchadnezzar, right? 
King Nebuchadnezzar, he was king, got prideful, and what did God do? Basically made him to a beast, right? Because Nebuchadnezzar thought that he was the only God. That is because of him, the power that he had and the stuff that he had made him who he is and his pride kicked in. And God said, no, no, no. I'm the ones in charge of the kingdom of men. And I assigned people to be over that. And he humbles him to the point where what happens to Nebuchadnezzar? He asks for forgiveness. And he realizes who God really is. We see this. In chapter 4, verse 37, he says, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and glorify the king of the heavens, because all his works are true and his ways are just. He is able to humble those who walk in what? Pride. I pray the day that some of our politicians say that. That would be great. (laughs) That we see people in leadership saying that. That here is this king who was king over the most powerful nation in the world and God just humbles him and he says man I am not God he is God and he humbles those who are prideful but here in chapter 5 we see Nebuchadnezzar is kind of out of the picture he's gone and a new generation a new king from his family takes over now you would think that a king who was just humbled by God who almost turned into a beast because of his pride would kind of, he would share that to his family and share about who God really is. But here in chapter 5, we see a new king, Belshazzar, who is the bloodline of Nebuchadnezzar. But we see here, what do we see with this king? We see pride is in his life. You see here, we see here the beginning of this chapter, chapter 5, we see King Belshazzar has a feast and he mocks God by drinking the vessels that came from the temple of Jerusalem. Now he knows the history, right? He knows the history. He even knows what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. He knows how he was humbled. He knows these vessels that he's drinking wine out of with prostitutes, with all kinds of people. And he's mocking God saying, this belongs to me because I am king. Then we see verses five and six, that as there are they're drinking, as they're getting drunk, as they're having this big feast when the world around them was being chaotic, what happens? Verses five and six, we see a hand writing on the wall. Now, can you imagine? Can you imagine that, that you are hanging out with some friends, having some fun, with, you know, eating some wings, watching the Browns, trying to play football, you know, I'm not trying to hate, but, but you know what, and all of a sudden you see a hand just starts writing on the wall. And I love the description it says here that says that, man, that the king, Belshazzar, was going out of his mind. Like out of his mind, did not know what was going on. And so he calls, we see this in chapters, uh, verses 7 and 9, that he calls the magicians that he had and said, hey, what, what, is, what is going on? What's happening here? And we find out that they don't know. They can't interpret what is written on this wall. But then here comes the turning point that changes the story. Because verses 10 and 12, a man named Daniel comes in. Now the interesting part is this, that somehow King Belshazzar forgot about Daniel. Now Daniel here, we believe he's about 80, 83 years old, still young, still going. But somehow was retired from his service in the kingdom. 
But as my dad says, servants of God never go in retirement. See, my dad always says this, you can retire from, from work, you can graduate from school, but you can never retire and graduate from being a servant of God. And so here comes the queen and comes to the king and said, listen, there is a man named Daniel who is wiser like, like the gods, who your predecessor, King Nebuchadnezzar, used and interpret dreams. This is the man that you need, that he can help you. But it's so interesting that here is the wisest man that, that is known in the world, and yet he is in a room. And Belshazzar forgets about him until he needs him. So he calls, we see here in verses 13 through 16, the king calls Daniel into his presence and says, hey, can you interpret this, what is on this wall? And in verses 17 to 28, we see that Daniel interprets the, the handwriting wall and basically saying that, hey, he says, king, your kingdom's gonna fall apart. Your kingdom's gonna fall apart and as well you will die because of your pride. Because that you think you are better than God and that you are God. And then we see the closing verses 29 to 31 that Daniel is honored by the king. We're going to talk about that a little later. He's honored by the king because he interpreted the message. And then that same night what happens? King Belshazzar dies and the kingdom that he ruled is destroyed. So we see that's what's happening in chapter 5. But what I want to look at. First, I want to look at a prideful heart. So we're going to examine the life here, how the reaction of King Belshazzar. And I call it the pride heart of Belshazzar. We're going to see how he reacted, what a prideful heart looks like. And that thinking that you are the only one in charge of everything. And so here we see the first thing that I, that I noticed, that we notice here with this king is that he had forgotten all that the Lord had done. He had forgotten. We see this in verses, uh, verses 10 through 12. We see that the queen says, hey, there is Daniel, who your predecessor, King Nebuchadnezzar, used to interpret dreams, to interpret different things. And he forgot about Daniel. He knew about Daniel. He knew about the history of even uh, King Nebuchadnezzar. But in verse 22, as Daniel is talking to the king, he says this, but his predecessor, but but he says, but you, King Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, even though you knew it all. So the verses before, Daniel talks about Nebuchadnezzar. He talks about how his, his uh, predecessor was prideful. He thought he was God. And he says, hey, but God humbled him. And he says, but you, king, you know this. You know what happened. And yet you're still falling in the line of having a prideful heart. You see, brothers, it's important that we remember all that God has done in our lives. What he's done in the past, what he's doing now, and what he's going to do. You see, we see this in Psalms 77, verses 11 and 12. It says, I, the psalmist says, I, will rem- I remember the Lord's works. Yes, I will remember your ancient w- wonders. I will reflect in all that you have done and meditate on your actions. How much time do you spend thinking about all that God has done? 
You see, brothers, what I believe can kill our hope in God is forgetting God's promises and who God is. What can kill our trust, what can kill our, our, our belief, our trust and our faith in God is that we forget who God is and what he has done and our hope is gone. Because that's what happened to King Belshazzar. That he heard the story, he heard he knew about uh, King Nebuchadnezzar and how God humbled him, but he ignored it. And as I was studying this, I thought about my kids. And if you're a father here tonight, it's very important that we as fathers tell our kids who God is and what he has done and what he's doing and what he's going to do. You see, a lot of times we believe that's the church's responsibility, but in reality, the church is here to equip you parents, equip you to help your kids and disciple your kids and who God is. Because my prayer is that as I'm telling my kids about the greatness of who God is, what he's done in, in my family, from my parents coming to know Christ and all this, I pray that they would not become like King Belshazzar, who forgot it all. But I pray that my kids will remember all that God did in their father's life and their grandfather's life. But also, it all starts with us by spending time in God's word. The more and more we spend time in God's word, the more and more we'll know who God is and what he has done and what he's doing and what he's going to do. You see, this king, because of his pride, pushed that aside. He said, man, that's, 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 king. that's, that's the old king. I'm a new king. I'm going to take care of this. I'm going to do things a little different. Let's not forget all that God has done. The second thing we see here with King Belshazzar, we see that he rebelled against God. He rebelled against God. We see that in verses 21 uh, to 20, 23. We see that man uh, Daniel is talking about Nebuchadnezzar and how God humbled him. He humbled him. And then he says, but you, king, you are just like that. You're being prideful. Because you see, this king rebelled against God. We see even from the beginning, right? As he's having this party, what does he use for wine? The vessels that belong to the temple in Jerusalem. And he knew where that came from. He knew that belonged to the Lord. But he, he rebelled against God, mocking God. And he trusts in his own flesh. It says this, that the, the Babylonians, their, their wall was super, super thick that nobody can like break it apart. And so they put their trust in that wall and in their king. But in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 5, the prophet Jeremiah, this is before the Babylonians come in and take, take uh, Israel apart. He says this, he says, curse is the one who puts their trust in man and in their own flesh. Because their hearts have turned away from the Lord. The prophet Jeremiah, he's saying, man, curse is the one who puts their trust in man and in their own flesh because their hearts are turned away from the Lord. And that's what we see with this king here. This king put his trust in him and who he was and the position that he held and his heart turned away from the true God. But isn't that us sometimes? That we put our trust in man and in ourselves and say, I can do this. I can fix this problem. I'm, I'm a, I love to fix problems. That's my thing. If I see a problem, I want to fix it. I want to figure it out and get it done and fix it. And that's how we are sometimes. But that's the pride that comes in to say, hey, 
that sometimes we got to step back and say, maybe I can't fix this. I'm talking to someone uh, this morning, and we're talking about that's the whole purpose of prayer. He said, I believe prayer is that when you pray to God, you're acknowledging to God, say, God, I can't do this. I need you. And help me to be patient to learn whatever season I'm going through. And that's why we pray. Because God knows what we're going to pray before we pray it. Then what's the purpose of praying? And I believe the purpose of praying is telling God, say, God, I acknowledge who you are, that you are the God who's in control of everything. I need your help. But this king here, he said, no, I'm God. I'm trusted in my own flesh. And what happened? His heart turned away from the Lord. And brothers, I think we need to be careful as well who we put our trust in. Especially in our world today. That we see a lot of people putting trust in political leaders and political parties and material things. Thinking, oh, if we just have this, we'll be good. Well, we're not. The only time that we're going to be good is when we're face to face with Almighty God. But until... Jesus comes back or we, or we die and be with Jesus, we need to imitate Jesus in this world, not imitate the world. My dad always says, don't let this political party suck you in because you don't belong to that, you belong to the Lord. And so we see this king here, he put his trust in his own flesh and who he is. And the curse was he turned his heart away from the Lord. Brothers, that's what pride does. Pride turns our heart away from the Lord and we forget what he has done, what he's doing, and what he's going to do. Because we think we're in charge of our own life. But we didn't make ourselves. God did. God knows what's best for us. Right? Says, Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. Let, let it worry about itself. Just worry about today. The, Jesus goes on and said, listen, the birds are not worried where their food's going to come. You shouldn't worry as well. As a father takes care of his kids, why don't you think God's going to take care of you? And guys, I, I don't know about you, sometimes I get worried about the world that we live in right now. I get worried about the world that if we make it, the, the, what my kids are going to be in. And there are times that I stress and I kind of like lose sleep. But then I, remind, I remind myself, that, but who is the God that I serve is the God that created everything who is not surprised that this one. I believe the reason why this world is messed up, obviously because of sin, but also to remind us that we have something greater waiting for us. That our reward as followers of Christ, our reward is to be in the presence of God. But as we wait to be in that presence of God, we must tell people about our God. I remember I had a, uh, a friend of mine, uh, I went... I, I grew up in East Texas, uh, just like how, you know, Texas, big in football. And I went to a little school, East Texas. Uh, but uh, my graduating class, uh, our quarterback was one of the top quarterbacks in the state of Texas. Like, this guy was an athlete. Like, I remember one game, uh, it was a playoff game. We were on the, our opponent's 30-yard line. All of a sudden, they blitz, come, you know, trying to get our quarterback he went all the way back to our 20. Everybody's like, what in the world is he doing? And it looked like they sacked him. But all of a sudden, you see him, boop, just jump off, and he runs down and scores a touchdown. And to this day, like a couple years ago, I went to our homecoming. They still talk about that play. And so this guy, my friend, he, we graduated. He went on Division I school in Texas. Uh, and this guy, you know, he, he would get letters from D1 schools, like, 
uh, at the time, Mac Brown, who was the coach of the Texas, came to visit. Uh, Urban Meyer came as well to come visit him. Like, this, these coaches would come and sit face to face. It wasn't like a hand letter. Like, they wanted him to be part of their team. And he, talking about someone who was prideful, it was this guy. Like, he was prideful. No one can touch him. If you hit him, like, if you just, like, just nug his shoulder by accident, man, it, like, you're over. It's done. You don't touch him because he is the star athlete. Newspapers would come. He would just, it felt like he was already in the NFL, but he was only a senior in high school. But he went on to go to the Division I school. He wanted to be a quarterback, but was humble really quick and realized that, hey, I'm not the only star in this team. And he went to play strong safety and did well. Got drafted to the Dallas Cowboys, his dream. Since we were, I remember elementary, he wanted to play for the Dallas Cowboys. And, man, he made it. He got drafted. I remember all of us, like, man, it's awesome. Like, here's a guy we went to school with, and here he is. He is playing NFL. I know this guy. And in the third game in the preseason, I remember he was playing, they were playing, the Cowboys were playing the Tennessee Titans. Some guy came and hit him on the knee and hurt his knee. And that was the last time that he played football. But I remember... I was going to Bible college in New York, and, you know, one day I had, my phone rings, and I see this number, like, I don't know what this is, I don't know who this is. I answer it, and he says, hey, this is Stephen, who I haven't talked to him since we, like, at that time, it was like eight years. I have not talked to this guy at all. I mean, we followed him on Facebook. I knew he was playing football and all stuff, and I was like, Stephen, I was like, yeah. He's like, oh, man. I was like, what's going on, man? Like, do I owe you money or something? Like, I don't know. Like, what, why are you calling me? Like, what's going on? He's like, man, someone told me I need to talk to you. I was like, what's going on? I was like, yeah, I'm flying from Atlanta. The Cowboys have me here to get my knee, you know, trying to get better. But it was like a year into his, in, in, energy, uh, his injury, and he said, I, the doctors tell me I don't think he'll be back playing. And he told me, he's like, God humbled me. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, man, all my high school career, I thought, man, I was the man. That nobody can touch me. College, same thing. Like one of his plays made the top 10 in ESPN. Like he's like, man, I thought I made it. Had all this free stuff, you know, anything I could have, I had it. And I played the Dallas Cowboys and in one injury I was gone. And he told me this, Steve, I put God on the shelf and he's waking me up. And he's waking me up. And he still struggles. And I remember even a couple years ago, he would call me and I would pray for him every morning. He's a, he's a high school football coach in Houston. And, and I remember every morning I would call him and I would you know, share the gospel with him, tell him who Christ is and, and everything. But he says, sometimes you got to be hit to be wakened up by the goodness of God. And brothers, we see here this king, the curse was he turned his heart away from the Lord because he thought he was God. He rebelled and mocked God. Thirdly, we see this, that he thought everything belonged to him. Not only did he turn his, his heart away from God and he, he mocked God by drinking the vessels from the part of the temple, but he, he really thought that everything belonged to him. But we see in Psalms 24, verse 1, it says, The earth and everything in it, the world and everything that's in the world, belongs to who? The Lord. It belongs. Everything in the world and those who are in the world it all belongs to God. And so there's no reason why we should think that, man, we can do everything. That's all about us because it's not. Like I said, Jesus does not need us. We need him. But this king here, he thought he was a man. He thought he was a God. 
And the curse for him was he turned his heart away from the Lord and forgotten all that God had done. We also see that he idolized, he loved his power and his wealth. He loved his power and his wealth. He idolized that. And that's what pulled him away from knowing the truth of who God was or forgetting who God was. And so what is that thing in your life? What is that thing in your life? You say, you know what, this right here, sometimes it's an idol. Sometimes this right here is an idol that, man, takes me away. And sometimes we think of that sin like being bad, right? Like, okay, there's a sin in my life that pulls me away from God. But a lot of times it's also good things that can pull us away from God. But what is that thing in your life that is pulling you away from God to make you forget who God is, to make you think that you are the man that's all about you, that everything belongs to you? Because for this king, Belshazzar, his idol, what he loved was his power and his wealth. Because when he asked Daniel to interpret his dream, he said, hey, if you interpret this dream, I'm going to give you a purple robe and I'm going to give you a necklace and you'll be my third in command. He said, I'll give you something if you help me with this. You see, we as followers of Christ, we see in Matthew 6.33, says, seek ye first the kingdom of God, right, and his righteousness and everything shall be added unto you. You see, we got to understand that in this world, our mission in this world is to know Jesus and to make him known as we live our lives. Colossians, we see Colossians 3.1 says this, the apostle Paul says this, if you've been raised with Christ, meaning if you have trusted Jesus as your savior, if you've been raised from death to life through Jesus, he, Paul goes on and says, set your minds on things where? Above, not on this earth. And let's be honest, we all love God, right? Like we're here because we love God. But there's something inside of us that, in, that pulls us away from wanting to focus on God. There's something that entices us and pulls us away. Whatever that idol is, whatever that sin, could be pride, whatever it is, that pulls us away and says, man, I don't need God. I'm going to do this on my own. I got this. But as we as follow of Christ, we got to understand this, that we've got to put on the, our eyes on the one who's in control of everything. I remember my mom, she had cancer twice couple years ago she's cancer free now praise the lord but the second time she had cancer the doctor says there's no hope like she's this is like the cancer is too aggressive like there's no hope we can do chemo all that stuff so we did but the doctors kept on telling my dad and my siblings and i hey there's there's no hope and i remember my mom saying don't focus on the problem focus on the one who can fix the problem don't focus on the problem Focus on the one who can fix the problem. That's what it means to seek ye first the kingdom of God. That's what it means to set your minds on things above and not on this earth. That you're so focused on Jesus that nothing else matters in this world. Guys, I know our world's messed up. You can turn on TV and you can see it. It is messed up, especially all that happened last year. But if we're so focused in Jesus, we know, okay, he's got it. And I still got a mission to know Jesus and to make Jesus known through my life. You see, God has placed you where yet. You work where you work, not because they need an employer. It's because God put you there because there's someone in that company where you work that needs to hear about Jesus. It could be a customer or, 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 an, or a coworker. 
You live where you live in that neighborhood, not because the house was on sale, but because God has put you there to reach your neighborhood for Jesus. Your kids play sports not because they're good at it. I'm not trying to offend anybody, but not because they're good at it, but because God wants you to reach the families that are in that team as well. Guys, listen, we got to understand we're in a mission here. And this is the whole part of pride that sometimes we think that this whole thing is, is, is living this life is all about us, but it's not. We live in for something greater, a greater mission. God wants to save the whole world. And the crazy thing is he wants to use us to accomplish it. Like I said, he doesn't need us. We need him, but he wants to use our lives as a trophy of grace and say, look what I did to their lives. All of us here, we have a testimony, right? All of us here have a background that we can say that, yeah, I was lost, I was doing this, but God saved me. And God wants to use that to tell the world, look what I've done. And he wants us to pull the people to Jesus. But it all starts by being focused on Jesus, seeking Jesus and not the things of this world. And that's my hard part. I always think, oh man, if I had this, I'll be happy. Oh, if I had this right here, this tool, this right here, I'll be, oh, I need this, I'll be happy. And when I get the thing, I'm not happy. Because the only thing that can satisfy your bring you true joy is a relationship with Jesus. You see, this king thought his power and his wealth would brought him happiness. And then we see, lastly is this, he sought wisdom, but it didn't listen to it. So he, he sought wisdom. He sought Daniel. Say, bring me Daniel. He tells Daniel, hey, interpret this dream or this, this, hand, this, this, this words up here. And Daniel does. But what does the king does? Daniel tells the king, hey, listen, this is what it means. Your kingdom's going to be destroyed and you're going to die as well. Like if you were king, if I was king, I, I heard that. All right, what are we going to do? We got to get our military. We got, I was planning. But what does this king does? What does he do? It says here in verse 29, it says, Then Belshazzar gave an order, and they clothed Daniel in purple, placed a gold chain around his neck, and issued a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That's how much he loved his power and his wealth. That here is the wisest man here tells him, hey, your kingdom's gonna be destroyed. You're gonna die as well. And all he worried about is putting a purple robe on Daniel, putting the chain on him, and kind of say, look how powerful I am. And then we see that same night, what happens? He dies, and the kingdom is destroyed. You see, brothers, if we are seeking wisdom, we need to listen to it. We need to listen to it. We see here in Proverbs 1, 7, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and discipline. This king was a fool because here he is getting the wisdom. And what does he do? What does he do? doesn't listen to it because he's so focused on his wealth and idolizes it. You see, we need to seek wisdom. But when we get this wisdom, we need to act on it. If it's reliable, if it's true, the person who's giving you this wisdom, you need to act on it. And I'm thankful there's many men in my life, throughout my life, starting with my father, who have given me godly wisdom. And there's sometimes I look back in my childhood when I was in high school that I wish I'd listened to my dad. Maybe some of you guys say, yeah, 
Uh, yeah, I wish I did too, or I wish that my kids would listen right now. Like if I would just listen to my dad and my parents, man, I would not make dumb decisions. But what happened? I thought I was in control of my life. But that's how we are with God. Can I say, God, I got this. I don't need you. But we need to seek wisdom in times of need. And do you have that? Do you have that godly person that can give you godly advice in times of need? And if you do and they give it to you, what do you do with it? Do you ignore it like this king and just say, nah, look how powerful I am. I can do this. You guys, and we see here what pride looks like to the point that God exposes the sin of this king. He doesn't repent of it. And what happens? He dies. So that's what pride does. Now let's look quickly here. The humble heart of a servant of God, which was Daniel. So let's look at that. Let's look at Daniel's heart real quickly. I'm almost done. I'm almost done. First thing we see here, and this is the interesting part, that he was respectful to the king. He was respectful to the king. We even see that even uh, from his teenage years when he was Nebuchadnezzar, right? Like he, like it says, some commentators believe that there was a close, like Nebuchadnezzar loved Daniel. And then we see as well, and chap, we're going to see next week as well, that when Daniel was in lines, then the king prays and thank God that he, Daniel didn't die. So there was something that these kings who were the enemies of Daniel, but they loved Daniel. And I believe because Daniel respected who they were. He knew they were image bearers of God. Yes, they were enemies. Yes, they were oppressing his people, but he still cared and showed love to them and had compassion to them. And I don't know about you guys, that is hard to do. Even someone who thinks different than you, they may do things different than you. That is so, so tough, especially your enemies. But here we see Jesus in Luke chapter 6, verse 27. He says, but I say to you, listen. He's talking to the Jews here, saying, listen. Love your enemies. Do what is good to those who hate you. Now think about it, this is the Jews, and at this time the Romans are oppressing the Jews. You can imagine what they think, like, this guy is crazy. Like, he wants me to love my enemies and do good to them. And then you go on in Romans 12, 21, Paul, Paul says, hey, to overcome evil, don't do evil, but overcome evil with what? Good. Now remember, these Roman believers are being put to death because they're following Christ. And Paul says, hey, don't come, overcome evil with evil, overcome evil with good. And here's Daniel being respectful to this king. Because there's sometimes we want to say, oh, if I can just have one second with that person. I'm going to tell him right on. Like, right? Like, there's sometimes I'm like, give me five seconds with him. I I will tear tear him apart. Like, I will get him ready. But I don't think that never came with Daniel. Daniel never said, oh, I cannot wait to get with this king because I'm going to tear him. I'm going to give him a new one. I'm going to give him a new one. No. He respected him. And with that respect, he earned respect from his enemies. And so we've got to show love even to our enemies because that's how we can, they can see the love of God. To know, hey, we, we, we're different. You and I, we have different thoughts. We have different, you know, whatever, opinions, whatever it is. But yet you still care for me. That's how we will win people to Jesus. It's not just tell them about Jesus, but it's showing them by loving them and caring for them as well. And I know it's hard. But we see this is what Daniel did. He humbled himself and respected this king. 
who took his people into captivity. And yet he showed respect to them. He showed love. He overcome evil with good. And we also see here, not only did he respect the king, but he also spoke truth. He also spoke God's truth to this king, right? We see verses 18 and 19. He, t- he says that God gave Nebuchadnezzar his kingdom and the glory and privilege that, uh, to go with this position. Verses 20 and 21, he says, your grandfather became arrogant and prideful. So God took him down and caused him to live like the beast with the animals and like the ox and donkeys. God did this so he could know that the most high God is ruler over human kingdoms and set anyone over, over them as he wants. Verses 22, 23, Daniel continues and says, you King Peljazer, you are just like Nebuchadnezzar. You should know better. You're even more responsible than him. You have, you have blasphemed and, and mocked God with your idolatry. And he goes on and says, you have not glorified the God who holds your breath in his hands and who controls the whole course of your life. Goes on in verse 24, 28, continues saying the truth of God. He says, God has exposed your sin and he's seen your evil and he's, and he's acting on your wicked decisions. And so we see here, yeah, yeah, Daniel respected the king, but also he spoke the truth of God to them in love. And you see, we see this in 1 Peter 3, 15. It says, but in your hearts regarding Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that it is in you. Do people see that even as messed up as our world is, do they see that you still have hope? Do they see that even though it's crazy, the world we live in, that you are still having joy in the midst of a collapsing culture? Because my dad always says this, that you, you, should be, you should have so much joy that people ask you, why? How can you have joy what's going on? How can you have peace of what's going on? How can you smile what's going on? And as 1 Peter, we see this because we got to be ready to tell him because it's not me, but it's the one I serve, which is Jesus. And Daniel was ready. Daniel was always ready to share why he had hope and also spoke in truth to those who needed it. We see, we go on. You see, he was not seeking material gain. I think there was a misprint there, but on your notes, you can put, he was not seeking material gain. Because we see this, the king says, hey, Daniel, if you interpret what's written on this wall, I'm going to give you all the good stuff. What does Daniel say? I don't want that. Get that someone else. But I I will interpret it to you. He wasn't like, oh, yeah, okay. If I said I'm going to get this, okay, awesome. I want that car. Yeah, give me that by the back. Like he wasn't like that. Because he understood his mission was not to make him famous. His mission was to make God famous. In the midst of craziness, in the midst of his own people being in prison, he knew that his goal was to make God get all the glory and not him. He was not seeking material gain or fame. And that's what a humble heart does, to understand who you're serving and what your mission is. Also, lastly, we see this that he trusted in the Lord. He knew that that night something bad is gonna happen. But I think, I mean, Daniel's probably 83 years old here. He's seen many things already. I'm sure his trust in the Lord is like, all right, God, you got this. Right, we, we, we see that even his three friends, 
right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What did they tell the king when the king said, hey, if you don't do it, I'm giving you a second chance. If you don't do it, I'm going to throw you in the, in the fire. What did they say? Even if God doesn't save us, we're, we will not bow down. We know the end of the story, but they didn't. And they said, we're, not, we're still not going to bow down. Even God doesn't save us. Because in reality, it's a win-win situation. <laughs> but here, Daniel trusted the Lord. Even in the midst of his culture being collapsed, falling apart, he knew who hold it all together. Brothers, do you know who holds the world together? It is not a political figure. It's not a political party. It is not money. It is not fame. The only one that can put the world together is Jesus. And we are here with that mission to tell people about who Jesus is. We're at your jobs, with your grandkids, your neighbors, the grocery store. The reason why there's only one line lane open is because maybe it's Jesus wants want to tell you. Well, Jesus wants you to tell someone about him. I don't. I forget about that. But but there's reasons why God puts you. And the whole goal, the whole purpose, is to know Him and to make Him known. And so the main idea, what I want us to get here tonight is this, that God exposes our sins and deals with our sins of unrepentant with an appropriate judgment. So what's the difference between King Nebuchadnezzar and King Belshazzar? What was the difference? The difference was King Nebuchadnezzar repented of his sin. When God humbled him, he repented and understood, okay, you are the true God. But we see his grandson. He, he got the truth and what did he do? Then repent of his sin. We see that God exposes our sin, but also he judges appropriately unrepentant sin. We even look at the life of right, David and Saul. Like why is David, King David, known as a man after God's own heart, but not King Saul? Like they basically did the same thing. They disobeyed God. But the difference is David repented of his sins and King Saul made excuses for his sins. And so we see here the whole, this whole chapter 5 is we see that God exposes our sin and then he judges those sins that we don't, unrepentant sin. And so is there anything in your life right now that is holding you back that you have to repent of your sin and say, God, this is holding me back to have a humble heart so I can know you and make you known as I live my life. And there's a couple things I want. There's ways to keep yourself humble. Here's a couple things. We're done. I'll pray and we can leave. First thing is this. Examine your life. Examine your life. The Apostle Paul says that in the book of 1 Corinthians, to examine your life daily. To make sure that there's no sin pulling you away from knowing Jesus Growing in Jesus and making him known in this world. And how do we examine our lives? First thing is by reading God's word. Read God's word. Spending time in this book outside of this. Like if this is the only time that you open your Bible, then you really won't know who God is. Like if I only spoke to my wife one day a week, you think I'll be married? No. Your boy would not be married at all. And he would have nothing to eat sometimes as well. You know, it would be, be bad. But that's how we are with God. How do we expect to know the God of the universe? We don't spend time with him. 
And if you're like, man, I need help. I don't know what else to read. Like, man, let us know. We are here for you. We want to give, we have some reading plans that we can give you to dig deeper in God's word so you can fall in love with him, know him, but also be confident enough to share to people about who he is. And also the way we examine our lives is by praying to God and saying, God, what is it in my life that I needed to take away? You see, some, I believe that God's word is like a mirror. That when we read God's word, it reflects the things in our life that we're doing well and the things that we got to work on. And so as we examine our lives, as we read God's word to know God more and also to check our lives, we also got to pray to him and say, God, show me the areas of my life that I need to work on. So I don't be prideful and forget what, who you are. Also, secondly, have someone speak truth in your life. Is there someone who is discipling you? Is there someone who is helping you grow in the Lord? That's my job here. My job as a discipleship pastor is my, my desire to see everyone grow in the Lord, but also the disciples are making disciples for the glory of God. The goal of, of being a Christian life is not just to come here, to sit here every Thursday, have a good meal, listen to some preaching, and then that's it. No, the goal is who are you taking this message to? Who are you taking this message to and pouring into? I see a lot of older men here, wise in age, I'm going to say that. Wise in age. Men who are wise in here. And if you're older in age, my question for you is this, who are you investing in? There's a lot of young guys here. I think I'm young. But there's a lot of young guys like us that we're still learning how to be godly husbands, godly fathers, good workers. And we need older men like you to come into our lives and say, hey, I want to help you to grow in Jesus, but also to know about life. And then you younger men, us, whatever age that is, there are college students that come to this church. There are high schoolers that come to this church. There are middle schoolers that come to this church who are hungry to know the truth of God, but nobody is invested in your lives. That's why we're here. I believe that's why the reason why we have this men's ministry is not just for us, but also say, God, who can I invest? Who can I help grow and speak truth in their life and help them grow and they can help me as well? You see, we all need a Daniel in our lives to speak that truth. But let us not be like the King Belshazzar who ignored that wisdom. But let us also share that wisdom we got and share it to others. All the, the disciple relationships I have and the things I said is because of the men that poured into my life. I am here because men, godly older men, poured into my life. My first discipler was 68 years old that poured into my life. And I was 21 years old. And that man taught me a lot. And to this day, I still talk to him. And I still call him when I need help. And so you older men, who are you investing in? And then you uh, younger guys, I don't want to say that, I don't want to be rude, but, but who are you investing in as well? The whole goal is not just to know God's word for yourself, but also to pour that into someone else's life, to help them grow in Christ. Last is this, is to listen to godly, to godly wisdom. And as well, lastly, is to remember and share all that God has done all the good thing that God has done in our lives. That is why we're here. That is our mission. It's to know Jesus, it's to know him, but also to make him known as we live our lives. What is Jesus' last command? You guys remember, what is Jesus' last command? 
There you go. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them all that you have observed of me, and I will be with you until the ends of the ages. That is our mission. Our mission is to all that we have learned of God is to tell the people that need it. And those that come to know Christ, as we see people get baptized here on Sunday, yeah, it's great to cheer, but we also should think, do they, are they growing in Jesus? There's a brother here in our church that did that, that someone got baptized right here on Easter Sunday, this past Easter, heard the testimony of this gentleman and realized that they live close together. He went up to him and said, hey, can I disciple you? Can I invest in you? And to this day, they're meeting. That is what our purpose is. That, yeah, as we see people come to know Christ, as we see people get baptized, we should say, okay, is anybody pouring into their lives? Could I be a Daniel to this guy and help them know the truth? And I can learn from them as well. So, brothers, we got a mission. Bow your heads and close your eyes. I want us to take real quick, just some time. Is there anything in your life right now that is holding you back from having a humble heart before the Lord? Are you like the king, Belshazzar, whose heart was prideful, that he thought he was God, that he was in control of everything, that it was all about him? And if there's some unconfessed sin that you need to confess to the Lord, I I would just challenge you to do that right now. You say, God, I'm sorry, whatever it is. Or even say, God, like David did, David said, God, whatever sin I don't know I'm doing, please forgive me. Whatever sin is hiding inside me that I don't know, King David said, God, forgive me for that as well. And also, if you've been a Christian for many years, maybe your prayer should be as well tonight, God, who can I be a Daniel to? Who can I invest and help them grow and be a disciple that's faithful to you and watch them make other disciples as well? So if you've been a Christian here for many years and yet you have not invested in people's life, maybe it's the time to do that now. Maybe say, I've been a Christian so many years, I know this stuff. I don't know all the Bible, but I know the basics of our faith. Then that means it's time for you to invest in someone else's life. Maybe someone younger. Maybe it's someone here, the person in your table. Maybe it's the college ministry that we have here. Maybe it's the high schooler that we have here. Maybe it's the middle schooler that we have here. But say, God, who do you want me to disciple to help grow in you? And if you're here tonight and you've never placed your trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior, I want to encourage you to do that tonight. Because the Bible says this, that we all fall short of the glory of God. That from the time we come into this earth, we are separated from God because of our sin. But our God loved us so much that while we were still enemies of God, he sent his only son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. A death that we should have taken. But Jesus was our substitute and took God's wrath towards sin upon himself, died on the cross, but on the third day, he rose again to give people hope. And if you're here tonight, Searching for hope, searching for happiness, searching for satisfaction. You will not find in this world, but only in the relationship with Jesus Christ. And tonight, let that be the night. Do not leave this gym without having a relationship with Jesus Christ. So take some time. Pour your heart before the Lord and I pray and we'll be done.
Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you have everything in control in your hands. That even though we are in the midst of a collapsing culture that is every day being disconnected from you, we know as your followers that at the end of the day we're going to win. But as we wait for the return of Jesus or that we die and see Jesus, help us to imitate Jesus here on this earth. God, help us to have humble hearts like Daniel. That these evil kings saw something in Daniel and loved Daniel and wanted Daniel to be part of their lives because he respected them, but also spoke truth in their lives. And God, I just pray, even for me, God, that you remove whatever is holding me back to be faithful to you, to have a humble heart, to understand my mission is to know you and to make you known as I live my life for your glory. And also I pray like David, whatever sin that's in my life that I don't know about, God, forgive me for that. But I pray that your Holy Spirit would help me and the men in this room to make choices, to make decisions that honor you and bring you glory. God, I know there are men here that have been following you for many years, but they have not invested in another believer's life to help them grow in you. God, may tonight be that night that you pour, that you would just pull in their heart, that they will start praying tonight. Say, God, send me two, two guys, maybe um, men my age or younger, whatever it be. Who are the men that I need to disciple, that I need to invest in to help them grow in you, to know you and to make you known? God, you want us to be disciples who make disciples for your glory. That is the last command you gave us. Help us, let that be our first desire. God, there are men here who have so much wisdom of your word. God, I pray that you pull in the heart to let them know that it's time to invest in other people's life to help them grow. And God, there are maybe men here tonight who don't have a relationship with you. And they have no idea that when their life ends, where they're going to open their eyes. God, I pray that if there's men here tonight, there's somebody here who doesn't know you, may tonight be the night they come to know you as their savior and understand that they cannot save themselves no matter how much money they got or how smart they are, but it's only through you, Jesus, that you died on the cross for our sins and the third day rose again. And the only way that we can have a relationship with God and be forgiven of our sins is by asking Jesus to change our lives and be new again. God, if there, is a, if there is someone here tonight that needs you, may they not leave this room without talking to me or somebody about how to have a relationship with you. But God, help us to be like Daniel. Help us to be faithful to you even when the world around us is falling apart. I pray that when people see our lives, they see the hope and ask us, why do we have hope? And where are we getting this hope? And we can have the opportunity to tell them about you. God, I pray for a spiritual awakening in our government, in our country, in our homes, in our churches. I pray for a spiritual awakening that has never been seen before in our time. That we, your church, would actually take to heart what our mission is to know you and to make you known. And to make disciples who make disciples for your glory. God, let that understand. That is our mission. That our mission is not who to vote for or what part to vote for, but it's just to make you famous and to make you known. Lord, I pray that we be faithful in that. And God, that we will have a humble heart that glorifies you every day. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.